So there's three components that I really get people to take a look at in their life. And this is how we experience the world as human beings. We think, we feel, and we sense, so we have energy. And so those three components are the things that we need to work on in life. So we have this thing called mindset, which people talk about. We have this thing called emotional intelligence, and then we have this thing called energy. Well, you have to work in all three because there's an ecosystem. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest, just exciting, exciting time. I just finished doing the interview. Love the time with Pradeep Sangha. Now, Pradeep's specialty is around neuroscience and the neuroscience of success and the why, you know, what gets in the way of our success in life. And there are many of us who said, man, I, I didn't really want to end up here, but he really explains how we get to where we're at in that we are, for the most part, fully responsible. He shares a concept of identity, very similar to what we talk about with our purpose, but it's very uniquely described. And I think you're just going to find that the show is fascinating to be able to say, what are the things that get in the way of my success in life, but also others? And so if there's some people that are kind of struggling with that identity or that direction or success in life, then you certainly want to recommend this show and maybe even Pradeep. You know, one of the things that we do here at CRG as well as anybody is just this whole concept of self-awareness that leads to self-management that goes to self-mastery. How can I actually be emotionally intelligent, awake, aware of what are my strengths, who am I, what do I bring to the table? Now, one of the challenges that CRG has is that we have 10 assessments that leave, lead into 12 reports, plus online courses, plus the certification. So we really believe in developing the whole person. And so if you are a professional developer, then I'm going to recommend that, you know, just look at the tools to be able to serve you and your clients as well as you could potentially think about coming to our three-day certification. But for today's show, you know, our new online course on my book, Why Aren't You More Like Me, is foundational understanding your personal style. We use the personal style indicator, the number one personality or personal style assessment as judged by participants globally. It will transform your life and say, you know, who am I? How do I build credibility, relationships, intentionality in all parts of my life? And TalentSmart did a study and said, you know, what percentage of people will realize their potential without this knowledge? And they said 2%. That life's that complex. So once I know who I am, then I can actually be proactive in doing the things that really fulfill me, serve other individuals, be a better leader, be a better uh, friend, uh, significant other, husband, father, mother, whatever it is, is that the relationships in my life will be richer. And that course is Wired to More Like Me and the directions to how to get that and in the show notes or go to crgleader.com and go to eCourses. As always, thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Let other people know. Leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. So thank you for listening. Here's our guest, Pradeep Sangha. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, when we think about success in life, there's all kinds of research going around neuroscience, the, the science of success, and how can we break you know, habits that are affecting us negatively or things that are getting in the way of 
success, when in many cases, which is actually ourselves. So today we have an expert in this field that's going to help us understand all of this and give us some tips about how to be successful in life. Pradeep Sangha, welcome to the show. I can. Thanks for having me. I totally appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, I just appreciate your energy. And, you know, we were just talking off air before we got on the show. And I just uh, sense that we're just going to rock it today and help the <laughs> Secrets of Success listeners. Now, uh, Pradeep, before we get into your expertise around neuroscience, and, you know, you, know, you have a specific interest on with men on this, but it applies to all people. Uh, what sort of your background, like how did you come to get into this field? Oh, wow. Yeah. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, to start where it's interesting. How's that? Start? <laughs> now, were you born in Canada? Where's, where's, I mean, I know you live in Eastern Canada and this show yes. goes all around the world. Yeah. Uh, where's, where was sort of your roots from? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, grew up in actually in a small town called Kelowna, British Columbia. That's on the west coast of Canada. Uh, my parents were actually immigrants, so they came over to Canada in the early 70s. And I literally, you can say, I grew up basically through our, our typical heritage, which is Indian. They, they weren't, my parents weren't super educated. They actually weren't very educated at all. And then uh, when they came to Canada, they soon realized that they didn't really have the skills to pick up, you could say, a normal job. But they were hard workers, so they and they mm. found jobs in an orchard. And so they, uh, they were picking apples, picking cherries, pruning trees. Um, you can say, you know, the manual labor, digging trenches, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of how I grew up. Uh, literally, my parents would put my brother and I in an apple bin while they would be picking apples if they didn't have anyone to take care of us. So I, I grew up in that environment. I was literally, you can say, born and raised on an orchard before my parents actually bought their own orchard and grew that into their their own business as well. But I was well, that, very, on, that entrepreneurial spirit was there with them when they came to Canada. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a spirit of just getting ahead, right? Just really making a new life for themselves. That was really the you could say the true spirit within them. And that really came from having freedom of having your own business. So that that was definitely a part of them. And that's when I when I really started to study business at the age of 15. I was managing about 50 people at the age of 15. Uh, so when I was young and I w would really take a look at, you know, what hang on, motive hang on. I mean, you just Sorry. skipped over that. Yeah. You are, you are managing 50 people at 15 years of age. Yes. Yeah. Like how did that go? Well, that was really interesting because that wasn't even on our, our orchard. It was on an orchard that my parents were working on at that time. And I, they just asked me, they said, Pretty, if you got some, you have a good work ethic, yeah, you know, you know what you're doing. So, you know, next year when you come back, we want you to manage this team. And so it was, it was an interesting environment. It was yeah, fruit production. It was a very hectic environment, uh, starting early mornings at four o'clock in the morning and sometimes going till late at night, seven at night, eight o'clock at night. Um, and you could say I learned, I learned how to work hard when I was young, but I also mm. learned what made people tick because I was always fascinated by uh, people's work ethics because here I would take a look at my parents and their productivity and sometimes some of the other workers on the orchard and I just said, you know, there's a big difference there. And then when my parents got their own orchard and I would see other people in the same industry not making it, they just were barely surviving in their business. My parents were doing fairly well. I said, look, there's a big difference here between how you run a business. You can be in the exact same industry and have the access to the exact same resources, but you'll have people that have different successes. 
Mm. And so I, I really started taking a look at, you could say, success principles at that time and personal development because my, my parents actually pushed me at that time. And they said, you know, pretty, we don't want you to struggle like we struggled coming to this country and having to do physical labor. Uh, we want you to get an education. So they pushed me on, you can say, the, the three, one of the three chosen paths of an immigrant Indian family at that time. You either become an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor. And so, so which that, one did you head down? Well, I was, uh, I was on the path of becoming a doctor, but it just really wasn't for me. I was, I was in uh, the biochemistry program. Uh, I was studying hard. You could say academics was my thing. It, from a book smart perspective, I had it down packed. Um, but I also learned some interesting things because I don't know if it was a teacher I came across or some early studies when I was in my high school, but I just really tapped into the power of the mind. How can you really leverage your mind to get things done that most people don't believe they can get done? So, for example, I was able to uh, have a photographic memory, for example, speed reading, those simple things that I think uh, just really add to your ability to learn new skills. And so I was sitting in, in my... Okay, so field. now you just skipped over that. Yeah. There's probably a lot of people listening. Photographic memory, that's just for Pradeep. That's not for everybody else. What would you say to that? Well, I can, I can say that it is a totally, it's a learned skill that you can actually develop. It's something that if you, I'm firm a believer that you can pretty much do anything because your mind is such a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of work, you can say. Uh, scientists still refer to it as the most complex thing in the universe. So if you mm -hmm. learn to tap into it, it's very, very powerful. Uh, and it was at that moment that I was, I was sitting there talking to one of my fellow um, uh, students in my class, and we were, we were studying for a test, and we were just going back and forth with some math answers to see if we can remember some of the stuff. And he would open up his textbook, and he would say, okay, you know, what, what do you think of this? And I would just recite it word for word, and then he'd flip to another page, and I'd recite it word for word. And he's like, you know that's not normal, right? And I said, what? He's like, being able to memorize a 400-page textbook word for word. And so that's really when I, I took a look at what am I doing differently? And it really came down to not only how I was studying, but how I was applying my brain. And that's really where, where my path started in terms of the neuroscience behind really how do you achieve more? How do you become more successful? How do you accelerate at things? And that just throughout my life, you could say that's kind of what led me. I've always been, you can say, a, kind of a nerd. Uh, I have a thing for learning. And uh, I switched out, actually, of the sciences, you could say, early on from an academic perspective because I, I had an entrepreneurial spirit, so I switched over into the business programs and combined the two, you can say. And that's really what, at, at this point, I have the combination of the business strategies and tactics as well as the science behind, you can say, transformation. How, do, how does a business owner, how does a person in their career really excel to the degree that they can excel to, not just tactically, like from the tactful perspective, but also applying themselves. Mm. When you think about it, I mean, you're, here you are in first, second, third year university or college, and you have this photographic memory, pardon me, and how did you achieve that? I mean, you said, oh, I just started studying uh, differently, but there's most students struggle. So yeah. what was it that even in your embryonic stages <laughs> of learning about this, what was it that you were doing differently even way back then? Well, I think, well, part of it, it's the environment as well. So at that time, it, well, 
okay, so where do I start? One thing that I really took a look at was really applying myself into the study. So there's a thing when it comes to memory, there's a number of things to pay attention to. It's what they call, uh, the, the, it's a seven point effect. The first thing you learn is one of the most important, like basically retention wise, is one of the things that you hold on to. The last thing you learn. And in between, if there's a, something that really stands out, which is called the von Ostroff effect, um, I know I'm talking a lot about memory here, but there's certain techniques that you can use. So repetition, for example, is a very important technique. Being motivated is a very important technique. Something that really stood out for me more than everybody else in school was that I was super motivated to learn. And what does that do for your brain? It actually opens up your brain to learning better. Because I hear people say, hey, look, I'm, not, I'm just not good at learning or I'm just not good at memorizing. So what they've already done is shut off their brain for the ability to actually memorize things. So, so having, even, you know, the, the research around, you know, what I say is what I get and what I move towards, that's even affirmed in this ability for recalling events and things. If I put out there that I'm not very good at this, you're saying that that actually just affirms that and limits my ability to develop that skill. 110%. Because the one thing that I always thought of when I would go into a test or performance or doing anything was that this is what I'm going to score. And I always put myself at the top, expected the best for myself. So what did that do for my brain? It set the, it set the precedence. And that is very important because the moment that you say to yourself, I'm, I'm limited at this, or I can't do this, or I'm not good at this. You, here's the thing about the brain. The brain is a goal-focused organ. And that's the most important thing to realize here. The goal you give it is what it strives for. So if you've already undershot yourself, that's what your brain will actually move towards. So that's the biggest thing. If you have high expectations or high goals, your brain will actually be more likely to achieve those. And actually, if, if you're aiming for the mid-range or the lower range, you're more likely to hit that. So give your brain the appropriate target that you're looking for. Mm. So let's move in. You, you're going to university. Did you finish with your business degree then? Yes, I, uh, I went to multiple business schools. I then went into the corporate world, you can say, because I just, I just happened to land there by fluke. And then I, I was in the corporate world for 14 years. And I was, uh, I was an executive. What were you doing there? I was an executive. So my goal at that time was to be a CEO of a major corporation. So I had a plan and I was executing my plan very well. I w had led the marketing division in a, in a multi-billion dollar organization, sales division, um, a operational division. So my, my whole path was to learn every aspect of business so I could become the best possible CEO I could. And that was basically what I did. I went in and learned every component of business that I could. And um, you could say while other people were, other uh, people in, in my circle of influence, my friends growing up, they would watch sports or they would have these other hobbies. My hobby was really studying and really studying business and experimenting with business and, and neuroscience. Uh, and so as a corporate, in my corporate world, you can say I excelled very quickly. I was the youngest executive in my position for that size of a corporation across, across Canada at that time. So I was doing very well, and I, you could see on paper I had everything. I had a cushy corporate career. I had uh, expenses. I had access to sports tickets, boxes. I was traveling the world. I had everything. But inside I was, you could say I was, I was miserable. I just felt like I was going through the motions. I was getting up, doing the same old thing over and over again. Um, although it was challenging, it just wasn't challenging, you could say, my soul. 
It was a challenge. So what was missing for you, Pradeep? It was fulfillment. It was fulfillment because I was making the corporation millions and millions of dollars. But for me, my true passion is helping people. And that's really what I strive to do. And I, I, you know, that's from when I was a kid. That's what I, my parents ingrained in me in terms of, uh, of the way our lifestyle was to be, was to help other people. And at 17, I was, a, I was a personal trainer because I truly wanted to help people get fit from a health perspective. And so I, I literally sat down one day and I, it, was like, it was like a ton of bricks hitting me. It was just like everything coming at me at once. And I just sat there and I said, Pradeep, what am I doing? You know, I'm going to live this life once. And I have one shot at this. Do I want to continue going down this path? And I, I honestly felt like I was a slave of the corporate world. Mm. And so, well, you're not alone on that. I mean, the stats are 80% of people dislike what they do from madly irritate to loathe. <laughs> I've yeah. written a book called The Quest for Purpose. So the reason for that is similar to what you've talked about. There are some amazing, capable, able, intelligent individuals who are miserable. Yeah. Uh, now, if we're thinking about those individuals that are listening who might be in that same situation, capable, able, very intelligent individuals, but really not feeling fulfilled. How did you transition out from that? Because that is such an anchor, meaning I have all of this stuff and then I have uncertainty on the other side. How did you transition out of that corporate role into your own business? Take us through that. <laughs> well, that was very simple. I literally just walked into work and quit. So I, I spoke to my wife two days earlier and she looked at me, she said, are you serious? Like, you're going to do this? And then she looked at my face and she said, I can see it in your eyes. And I, I literally just walked into work uh, and said, I think I'm done here. You know, I, I need to move on to the next chapter of my life. And lo and behold, it was, it was, uh, they said, okay, so how long do you want to be here? I said, I don't know. How long do you need me to be here to replace me? And then uh, in that conversation, I basically said, you know what, it's probably best if I leave today if I can. And they said, okay. And I basically, you know that old saying, you burn all bridges, that's basically what I did. I literally quit. And so a couple of things happened. A, I was just kind of like, oh crap. You know, two weeks later, I was like, what do I do now? Because I, I literally just, you know, I, I had everything going for me. I felt like I just threw it all away. And then there was also a sense of relief saying, okay, now I get to do what I want to do. Now, even though you said I made this decision and two days later walked in, this had been stirring in you for some time. Oh, absolutely. This is, this is I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I had, uh, you know, my, my stuff on the side that I would do in terms of making extra income or just delving in things that were of interest to me. And so I always wanted to be my own boss. It takes me back to a moment when I was a child and I don't know where this stemmed from or where this came from, but I was... I think around the age of eight or nine or seven years old and I was playing on the driveway with Hot Wheels and I still remember it like it was yesterday and I just had this thought saying, just going through my mind, like I want to be the CEO of my own business doing good things for people. Mm. And, and so that's what I reflected upon when I made that decision. Am I really living to that? If I was to have, if I was to go back as that same boy and redo my life, basically, you know, what would I change? And so that's, that's what led me to the decision. But you're absolutely right. It was, it was stirring in me for, for a long time. So the people out there that are listening, you know, I, you know, it's part of that gut feeling. You know when you're not living the life that you want to live and you suppress it and you feel like 
you know what, you're doing the things that everybody wants you to do, right? This is the way that your path is supposed to be. You're supposed to have a successful career, make X amount of money, live a certain way, yet you're still unfulfilled inside. Mm -hmm. So what would you say now, of course, as a mentor and a coach and advisor to individuals, I don't necessarily recommend your strategy of <laughs> abandoning everything, say, oh, what the heck am I going to do next? Uh, but what would you say to those people who have the stirring that want to go to another level or do something different? What would your recommendations be for their next step? Yeah, the next step is really just go and actually explore things. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't do is because they're afraid to explore. So go explore. And I, I highly don't recommend just going there and quitting for sure because I'm kind of a risk taker that way. But actually take some action. I think that's the most important thing to do. And I've, and I've mentored people through this is really start, start small. Take a look at some of your interests. Take a look at the, some of the things that you're good at doing. And so if you take a look out there, take a look at what, and here's the biggest thing I've noticed, and this is the easiest way to really, you know, start taking a look at things outside of your existing career or whatever you're doing, is take a look at what people need. What are people struggling with? What problems do they have? And if you have a solution to help people in some way, shape, or form, whether that's direct, directly from coaching or consulting, or whatever that is, or maybe it's a product or a service of some sort, that is the easiest way to transition out because as soon as you see the need, that, that basically you know, tells you that you can have a sustainable business. This is where I see people get caught up, Ken, in terms of not being successful, is they think that they have an amazing product or service and they quit or they do whatever, they make these drastic moves and then they realize there's no market for it. Mm -hmm. well, there has to be a blend of both, doesn't there? I mean, exactly. there are some people that actually have a market, have an amazing product, but they don't like it. <laughs> exactly. So, so there's that side as well. I have to have both have the need, but I also have to have the passion or the connection to that meaningfulness in that individual or in that product, that service, whatever it is that you're offering. Exactly. So great, great advice, uh, Pradeep. You know, so when we think about um, serving the audience today in these different strategies. Now, you have a podcast called MailPodcast.com. Mm -hmm. Now, how it, was it that you were, you were focusing on men specifically? Where did that sort of evolve for you? Now, if you're um, of a different gender or you're listening, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, these things apply uh, generally. But you obviously took a track down to serve men. So what was, what was driving that? Yeah, so if I, first of all, there's uh, I actually get quite a few women listening to the podcast as well. And we've actually just reached a point where most, uh, I say, we just over the 50% mark where we get more referrals from women now. So it's really interesting to see. So I, it's not just uh, serving men. We're serving women in an indirect way as well, and I'll talk about that. So this really started for me when I was uh, in my early 20s. I, I was with my high school sweetheart for about eight years, and we broke up. And at that time, we broke up. Wow, that's a long time to break and then break up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was totally devastated. I was literally, I thought my world was going to end because I, I had seen myself with her having children, growing old with her, and we had grown with each other. But I, I can honestly say that I wasn't the best boyfriend at that time. There were things that I was doing. You know, she was still growing. She, she was still immature in certain aspects of her life. And when we broke up, uh, it was absolutely devastating. And I basically, again, as I mentioned, I love to learn. 
Um, and I wanted to figure out what I did wrong. And I wanted to figure out what makes a successful relationship, what adds to a successful relationship, both from the role of, of being a woman, a man, or the two opposite ends of the spectrum, whatever type of relationship it is. And I went and I studied relationship psychology and I reached out to some of the top relationship psychologists uh, in the U.S. and I started picking their brains about what was happening. It was very interesting to see or hear at that time what they were talking about. I'm talking about almost 20 years ago where they said society is changing rapidly, relationships are changing. This is a shift that's happening in both women and men and relationships and family units. This is what's going to happen over the decades. And I, I would listen to them at that time and I would say there's absolutely no way. Well, lo and behold, we're actually at that point right now where in the U.S., for example, over 50% of children are being raised without full-time fathers, right? Divorce rates have skyrocketed. We're seeing anxiety and depression in men skyrocketing. Suicide in men over a certain age, over 45 to 55 plus is skyrocketing. Um, so we're seeing those stats increase in terms of men are just, uh, you can say, not living a life of fulfillment. On mm -hmm. top of that, um, I, it, this is very near and dear to my heart because my father passed away last year suddenly from a heart attack. Mm. And my dad's goal was to hit 65. That was his milestone to say that he did it. And he never got to that point. Unfortunately, you know, I had I have so many dreams to say, okay, at that point, you know, he was actually going to take his foot off the pedal. Not that he would ever stop working. That was just a part of him. But we would do more things as a family unit together. We would take more trips together. But we won't be able to experience that because he's not here. But my dad was also one of the most phenomenal men I've, I've come across. He was an ex-police officer in, in India. Um, and he came here and he was, you could say, a man's man. He was very, he came in, he was 6'1", 240 pounds. Like he had total presence, especially being in the police force as well. He was mm -hmm. trained to be a certain way. So he would walk into a room and it'd be like a total masculine presence. Um, and he was also the most, you can say, um, loving man I know as well. He would just, he was just such a, a, you could, a soft person when he just opened his heart, for example. So he had both ends of the spectrum, but he also had this other side to him. And so he lived a life where I could tell he just wasn't fulfilled. And so I would see him struggle. Uh, you know, it seemed like he was doing everything. He eventually, he had the money, he was traveling, he was doing all that kind of stuff, had a successful business. But it didn't seem like he was happy. And in fact, he, would, he was suffering from alcoholism. So that was his out. And that was his way of dealing with things. And so here I saw this man that, um, you know, just did everything for his family, was uh, completely masculine, totally looked up to his presence at that point, was totally a softy on the other side, but was struggling. And when he drank, sometimes he just wasn't the nicest person. So it was like he had a totally different personality. So I saw him struggle, and that, that is what, what drives me today because I see a lot of men these days struggling in their life. They may not be suffering from alcoholism. Maybe they are, but I know that they don't have to struggle when they don't need to because one thing that gets, keeps me going is what if my dad had a mentor that, was, that would be able to have given him some insight along his journey? Would that have changed his mm -hmm. life? Would that have made his life a little bit better? Could his business life, because he was completely uneducated from that standpoint, and he just, just made it work because he just had sheer tenacity and persistence and hard work ethic. Uh, and there's times when he toughed it out. Like physically, you know, he was the most the hardest working person I've ever seen in my life. And so 
that's what really gets me going because I look at other men and say, how can I help them live a happier and healthy lifestyle? Because not only will that help them be more fulfilled in their life, but that will also help them in their relationship with their spouse. And that will help them raise healthier and happier children as well. So that's ultimately my goal in what's happening today. I, and I imagine per deep it would also help them be a better leader in any context too. So if I'm a more whole person, period, you know, we'll do the people world thing, then what I bring to the table in all contexts is going to be improved. So that's what you're doing as well. Absolutely. And it's the, the leadership's uh, side for men. And this is, this is the second component of helping men as well, because we as a male, you can say species, is really lacking mentorship and is really lacking, you can say, true leadership. We have some very poor, poor role models and key, um, you can say, positions today in terms of how they're showing the general public what it's like to be a man. And movements have been created to oppose that, for example. We have things, conversations happen about the Me Too movement, conversations about toxic masculinity. And so right now there's a massive backlash against masculinity. And so what has that done for men in general? Well, there's a lot of men that are confused right now. There are a lot of men that are confused in terms of what it's supposed to be like to be a man. So what does it mean to be a man? Am I being too masculine? Am I not being masculine enough? And what that's done is not only impacted them in their business world, because I have conversations on a weekly basis with, uh, with people that just say, hey, look, I don't know how to interact with my female staff anymore because I'm afraid of getting, I'm, I'm afraid of finger pointing or saying that I'm harassing them in some way, shape or form. But also, that's also translating into their personal life because they no longer know how to interact with their spouse or how they're supposed to raise children. So how do you raise a boy these days? How do you raise a young girl? So there's this massive confusion that's happening. And so my whole purpose for this is to really help create what I call mindful alpha males, which is a, a male that takes ownership and leadership for his life and actually creates a life that he wants, but also is mindful and mindful from the perspective that he's able to open up his heart. He's also able to be a servant leader, for example. And so not just be this man's man, but be able to be able to open his heart and, and have the connection with the people around him. Mm. So, and I appreciate that and, I, and appreciate where you're going and heading with that because the confusion is out there and you can't have it both ways. The, the reality is there are some standards or I will call it principles, true north principles that are there. That being said, what are some practical strategies or things that, if I'm listening, man or woman or woman who wants to refer a man, <laughs> can do that you do? What did you learn around this neuroscience that I can apply as a listener at the end of this show? So let's kind of transition into that per deep if we can and say, what are some of the steps and things that, you know, you talk about here about, you know, taking control of your mind or more energy or yep. mastering my emotions, all these kinds of self-awareness, but also self-mastery, which is what we call it, being in charge of self. So now I'm the listener. What are the steps that you take me through? I'm your client to really even get me grounded in this neuroscience, my condition, and then what do I do about it? Yeah, so the first, first thing that I take a look at, so there's three components that I really get people to take a look at in their life. And this is how we experience the world as human beings. We think, we feel, 
and we sense, so we have energy. And so those three components are the things that we need to work on in life. So we have this thing called mindset, which people talk about. We have this thing called emotional intelligence, and then we have this thing called energy. Well, you have to work in all three because there's an ecosystem. So I'll give you an example here. One of the biggest things that I see when it comes to people changing or people transforming or living a happier, healthier life is that they just don't have the effective energy to live the life that they want. And so here's what's happened, and, and we take a look at this. Your brain is actually a, a resource, what I call a resource pig. It consumes 20% of your daily calories. So what does that mean? That means that your brain is actually consuming energy. And here's how most people live their life, Ken, is that let's just say I'm going to be, I'm going to lowball this. 50% of the time, people are either thinking about the past, things that they've screwed up on or that they missed out on or whatever it is, or about the future things that they need to get done, especially in today's society right now in terms of it's a mm -hmm. go, go, go society. Well, what has that done? You've actually just wasted 50% of your brain's capacity just by thinking of the past and the future. But here's the biggest thing to remember. You can hold, only have impact in this current moment, in this present time. That's where you have maximum power. That's where you have maximum energy and maximum influence on your future. If you truly take a look at that, and why? Because quantum physics has proven that there's no such thing as a future or the past. There's just a continuous moment of now. The only time that the future and present exists is actually it only exists in your mind. So what does that mean? That means that if the more energy you put with what's in front of you in this moment, the more you can actually impact your future. And that's a big change for people when they actually take a look at that because we have things like multitasking, for example. Right. Which, that, of course, is not true or possible, correct? It's correct because you're just switching between tasks. It's, it should be, you know, multi-switching, for example, uh, or switch tasking. Because think of your brain as, from this perspective. Your brain has, it's ridiculous how many brain cells, neurons, 86 billion roughly. It's a massive highway. And let's just say all these vehicles, which are your neurons firing or the vehicles going down, are all facing one direction. Well, what ends up happening when you multitask? It's like you're sideswiping that traffic and to taking it totally off course. And to put it back on course, you're actually consuming energy. And so I want to make that clear. When you ask about practical advice or practical insight, the biggest thing that I would get people to focus on is what's in front of them because they can actually have more impact and have more energy at that present time. People are exhausted these days because they're constantly thinking about things that they have to get done. And that's mm. not doing them any good. I'm now, not saying, do I, how do I sorry. bring in, how do I bring in what I need to do in the future into the present? What would be a practical way to do it? To say, I'm, I'm moving towards this. I want, I need to get this done this week, yet I want to be in the moment. So how do I, how do you coach me on that? Yeah. So here's, here's the big thing. So planning is important. So planning your week out in advance is absolutely critical and having what I call strategic sessions. And so you have strategic sessions. This is what I do. And this is what I teach my students to do as well as on a Sunday, for example, I'll just take an hour out and just plan my week. It's a, and I'll be very strategic in terms of the outcomes that I'm looking for. And when I plan that week out, that actually releases a lot of my tension too, because now I actually have it on paper. When you put your thoughts on paper, it actually creates what I call it releases tension. You have it down and you're not constantly thinking about those thoughts. It's all on paper now. The second thing is to have strategic sessions in the morning. So what are the top things that you need to get done for the day? And just keep it down to one or two business things and one or two things in your personal life as well. The biggest outcomes that you want to have. 
So that's where you need to be strategic and not constantly think of, so this is how most people are living their life in the moment is that they're constantly trying to get rid of this moment to get to the next moment. Well, when you have things planned out, it's not so bad. And so that's breaking it down in terms of have strategic sessions once a week on a Sunday to plan out your week, have strategic sessions in the morning. It could be just 10 or 20 minutes to outline what your biggest outcomes are in the day. That actually helps. Limit this list to two to four or five items. A lot of us can have like 12, 15 items on a list. Yeah, so here's, here's the thing that, that yeah, there's to-do list and then there's an outcome list. There's a big difference. And so we all have to-do lists, things that we need to get done, and which you should put, have on your list. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, what are the biggest outcomes that you're looking for? And so you have to prioritize those because that's what makes progress in life is outcomes, not to-do lists. Because if you really take a look at your to-do list, a lot of those things can wait or a lot of those things don't actually contribute to the outcomes that you need to get done. So I'm a big believer in getting help, for example, delegating or, you know, prioritizing in terms of get your most important things done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's how I schedule my week. I don't schedule very many appointments or anything like that. I have my biggest priorities and outcomes for the first three days. And then I get everything else in on the Thursday and Friday, for example. So Mm. prioritization is absolutely critical. Okay, and then what next? What, how do I implement this on a continuous basis or what other strategies do you want me to do? Well, here's the other biggest thing that I take a look at. The reason why a lot of people, so that's the energy component. Now I'm going to jump into the mind component because the mind is the biggest component that you need to focus on is that you have to take control of your mind because 95% of your thinking that happens is actually at an unconscious level. And that unconscious thinking is actually based around one particular thing, and that's what we call identity. So identity really from the Latin word basically means the same as. And your identity is how you act on a day-to-day basis, which means that if you are more consistent, that's who you believe you are. And so you have an identity, whether you believe it or not, whether you've given yourself an identity or not, and most people have created an identity that's been given to them throughout their years. So most people's identities have been created up, in the, up until the time they're about eight years old. So from their family, basically how they're being raised by their parents, their school system, for example, their friends. So they carry that with them. Unless they consciously take a look at it and rebuild their identity, they have the same identity, same thinking patterns as an eight-year-old, for example. They've matured in, in a lot of ways, but unconsciously they have a lot of these beliefs that are actually stemming to their current Um, behaviors and patterns. And now I'm going to get into the practical stuff. You have to give yourself an identity. As I mentioned before, your brain is a goal-driven organ. So who do you believe you are? And I'll just use myself as an example. When I came out of the corporate world, Ken, nothing had changed for me. I was the exact same person, but I actually went through a couple of months, probably even a few months of just being down because Mm, I went from being a somebody, like I was a, a, you could say one of the, they used to call me like the guy that used to blow things up. I was, you know, the up and comer in the industry, for example. So I was a somebody and I came out and I became a nobody. I would look around and look at all these guys like Tony Robbins and, and Grant Cardone and say, look at their following. Like they just have millions of followers. How am I going to help people? I'm a nobody. Well, here's what I did. I said, Preep, I know this stuff. I got to start applying it myself. What am I doing here? I said, I have to change my identity and I have to change my stories because, and here's what I did. 
all I did was give myself an identity that was more empowering. So I gave myself three things, and this is a practical thing for you to do out there. Write down three things that you want your identity to be, that you want to be as a person that will get you the results that you want in life. So for me, it was being a visionary, seeing things that other people couldn't see. It was being a leader. It was bringing people together towards a common vision. And it was being a driver, which is getting results. And here's what happens when you create your own identity. Your brain actually starts to align your behavior with that identity. So you will actually start making decisions in alignment with that new identity. Because right now, believe it or not, you're actually making decisions aligned with your current identity. And you might not even know what that is. Mm. So that's part of it. Now, do I need to know what it is right now or do I need to move just towards what I want and not worry about what it is right now? Because how could I even know what it is? Yeah, you don't need to know what it is right now. You just need to know what you want it to be, what you want to be. If you look and you say a year from now, this is the person I want to be. What are the top three things? And I, I, I tell people to limit to three because that's, that's the top three things that your brain actually remembers. After that, it kind of gets foggy. So put that down and say, and when you come up with major decisions, for example, you have to go back and say, what would this identity, what decision would this person make? And you're going to have to do it in the third or second person at first, but eventually you're, you're going to get into that behavior where you're going to become that identity and you're going to be making those decisions automatically. Mm. Well, when you think about it, a lot of times in what you were talking about in your story, people get their identity from what they do, not who they are. So exactly. they say, well, you know, who are you? Well, I'm the vice president of sales XYZ company. No, no, that's what you do. But who are you? And it is, it's interesting because our, our firm does a lot in career development and there's lots of people that get into transitions or workplace or uh, ageism, whatever it is. And when they lose their job, they do lose their identity because everything was tied up with that. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened to me. And so the identity is one of the biggest things. Why? Because your identity then leads to your stories. And every single thing that you do is based on a story. If you actually take a look at the factual component of your day-to-day -day life and your, your thoughts, very little of that, actually little, less than 10% of that is actually factual. Everything else is a made-up story based on the identity that you have. So by changing your identity, you actually change and shift your stories, which then change your decisions and actions. Because here's the most important thing to realize is that life success, life fulfillment, business fulfillment, and business success is all based on a series of two things. It's a series of decisions and actions. So if you take a look at it, you're consciously making decisions and you're consciously taking action. That's all life is. And so if you actually make decisions that are more aligned with the path that you want to go to or get to, then you will actually make better decisions and take more effective action as well. And so that is something to take a look at because the core is your identity. Well, now we know there's all kinds of research around how people apparently or seemingly sabotage their own success by making decisions that they say, well, how come you made that one, Ken? That doesn't seem congruent. You say you want to be successful, but that's not what it was. What you're suggesting is, is that underlying our belief system in our identity is really influencing those choices. Even if it's not outwardly what we want, that's what happens because of that identity linkage. 110% because it's your unconscious beliefs that are actually driving the show. And now, so uh, if you can believe it, Pradeep, we only have five minutes left. 
And so we're going to still have some more comments from you and expertise. But before we dive into sort of your final uh, thoughts, how can people find out about you? Yeah, the simplest way is you can connect with me on social media channels uh, at Pradeep Sangha, or you can go to my website, which is PradeepSangha.com. And if obviously, if you're a podcast listener, you can check out the, the Male Entrepreneur Podcast at Mail, as in M-A-L-E, podcast.com. And spell your name for the people that are listening as well. Sure. It's Pradeep, P-U-R-D-E-E-P, and the last name is Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. Great. Thanks. Now... We have a little secret for everybody is that we're going to have a special gift and the only way you can find out about that special gift for Secrets of Success listeners is going to the show notes on whatever platform you're listening. Now, if you're driving, don't worry. You don't need the gift right now, but we know that it's going to be very special and uh, thanks, Pradeep, for offering that and we're actually going to keep it a mystery for people because we'll know that you'll have to go and find out about this special gift significant gift from Pradeep. So thanks for uh, supporting the listeners that way. Yeah, my pleasure, Ian. Now, Pradeep, you know, we just have this few minutes left. We have all this body of work as a sort of a final encouragement beyond what we've said up to this point. What would your encouragement, wisdom, thoughts, strategies for the listeners, what would you leave with them prior to our departure today? Well, the the biggest thing that I would say is uh, the third component, which I talk about, which is feelings and emotions. The Basically, if you want to be most successful in life, if you want to have the stuff that you want in life, then you have to focus on emotions. And that's not what we focus on a lot of the times. We're focused more on actually achieving things and hitting goals. So if you take a look at the science behind it, and this is when I was at Stanford, they were doing a ton of research in terms of what what really leads to success? And they were taking a look at whether it's logical decisions or emotional decisions. Well, here's a reality. Here's what they came down to when it comes to the research behind emotions. The more emotions you actually put into your decisions, the more likely you are actually going to get to your outcomes, which is really interesting because we think that we should be void of emotions when we make decisions, right? Because we're trying to be logical. No, mm-hmm. actually, if you want to be more rational, if you want to actually get to your goals faster, put as many emotions into your decisions as you can. Why? Because it's been shown through research that you become more passionate, as you mentioned, Ken, about the, uh, your path. You become more persistent and you actually become more creative in overcoming obstacles. Because here's the thing when it comes to success, like when people fail to achieve the goal, it's not because they they didn't want it. It's because there was some kind of challenge in their way that they just couldn't overcome. Well, to overcome those challenges, if you have the emotions to back that up, your brain will actually be more creative. And so emotions are absolutely critical in how you live your life and your level of success that you achieve. Now, a lot of people, so when someone comes to me and says, hey, Pradeep, I want to grow my business by X amount. The first question I ask them is, how do you want to feel when you hit that goal? Because if you hit that goal, if it takes you six months, 12 months, or however long it does to get to that goal and you're still not feeling those emotions, well, then all of that goes to waste. Because why? Every single thing you, I, everybody does on this planet is, to, is for one particular reason. This is how our brain is designed, to actually move towards a certain feeling or an emotion. So if you can get that down packed and realize that emotions shape your destiny, emotions shape your decisions, emotions will help you get to your goals faster and create that life faster, 
then you'll be more cognizant of the emotions that you're feeling. Wow. Well, Pradeep, obviously there's more to be taught, more to be learned. So that's why they have to go to your LinkedIn or PradeepSanga.com to find out more, correct? That is correct. There's a ton more. <laughs> now, you've written this book called Superfans, the Authorities. What's that about? Yeah, the Superfans, so one of the things, uh, the super, actually that's the second book, the Superfans and the Authorities, that's, there's two separate bricks there, but they're really around what I call creating Superfans. How do you take an average customer and turn them into a raving Superfan that buys more, that is willing to pay more for your services, that is loyal? It's really around the premise of creating an experience for your clients because, Ken, these days, this is what's actually happened over the last two decades. People are less price conscious and more experience conscious, meaning that if you don't create that experience for your clients, for your customers, they're more likely to go somewhere else. And so if you want to have a thriving business, it's all about creating super fans. Mm, absolutely. Well, who goes to a place like Starbucks for five bucks or six bucks for a coffee? Certainly not for the coffee, right? Exactly. They want to create some kind of experience. Well, I can't yeah. believe that our time's already gone, Pradeep, and I certainly appreciate your energy and everything you've done. And just so thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Well, Secrets of Success listeners, Pradeep Sangha. And you know, when we think about success in life, and we talk about that in CRG as well, is neuroscience is important. What you think it's critically important what you feel and all the senses that come out of it. So take what Pradeep has talked about. And I suspect you're going to have to listen to this show more than once to get a sense of how do I manage this? And what is your identity? Do you know what it is? Take Pradeep's recommendations. You know, many individuals, it's eight, over 80% are miserable in their work or just really not feeling fulfilled. So don't be one of them. You know, make the choice. Maybe do a plan before you bail like Pradeep did. But as part of that process, you owe it to yourself, not from a self-centered point of view, but from a self-honoring point of view, to bring your best because in your fulfillment, in that space, your contribution will be the highest. As always, thank you for your time, for listening to The Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let other people know about what we're doing. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.